Hello, and welcome to the Should I Go See It podcast, where every other Friday we take a deeper dive into the one-sentence reviews on shouldigoseeit.com. This week we'll be discussing The Creator, It Lives Inside, Saw 10, and The Exorcist Believer. I'm your host, Bill George. With me today, super producer Craig Stanton. Hello, William. Craig, hello. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing well. Doing well. That's fantastic. Another week, no AJ. Put yep, this guy on time. a freaking milk carton. <laughs> busy time for the man, but uh, hopefully we will get ourselves situated and get better at our at our scheduling coordination so we can actually all do this together. We're going to do our best. So hopefully we'll have him back real soon. It's a learning process. But what have you uh, what have you been watching? What's, what's been on your docket? Well, Bill, I'll tell you what. It's been a lot of uh, postseason baseball. Big Phillies guy that has become, unfortunately, my adopted team of the playoffs. Okay. Uh, for the last, like, four out of the last five years. So that's been <laughs> right. fun. A lot of uh, the National Football League has been b- back in full force. So I've been getting into a lot of that. Although, I, which actually brings me to a note that I'm seeing here in our sheet that says Toy Story Football. And I j- just don't know what that means. You didn't, didn't you watch that when we were talking about it on, I was doing something and there was a lot of chatter in a group thread that you and I are in <laughs> and I didn't know what it meant then. And I don't know what it means now. So please explain to me and the this is the movie. This is the movie connection to why we were talking about football. Yeah. All right, cool. <laughs> Besides just talking about theme songs for fun. They did a Sunday morning football game in England and so it starts at 9 a.m. or whatever it was, Jaguars-Falcons. Yes, yes, I'm aware of this. And for the mm-hmm. broadcast, they had the regular broadcast, but then they also had a Disney Plus broadcast of, instead of Sunday football, it was Fun Day football, and it was all Toy Story themed. And so they showed the football game as if it was happening on the floor of Andy's room. And they used some sort of like motion capture technology mm where you're it's like the normal angle like you're watching the football game but instead of seeing the players on the field you're seeing little toys run around like a carpet that looks like a football yeah yeah stadium. yeah 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 gotcha and so they you're watching the game in real time like they're able to mimic the game in real time like the t- technology behind it was fairly impressive now it wasn't perfect there was plenty of glitching and weird stuff yeah but you give it a couple of years it's going to be pretty impressive and the entire broadcast was themed around this with Toy Story jokes and like bumps to and from commercial with the different characters. Slinky Dog was the yard marker. <laughs> he kept on like expanding <laughs> or contracting when they were close to a first down. Like really clever. It was so much more effort and thought and love was clearly put into it than I would have anticipated. Uh, like I thought it was a cool idea, but then when I saw it, I was like, oh wow, they're like. They're leaning in. I'm looking at images of it right now, and the goalposts are blocks. Blocks. That yep, spell exactly. one block spells goal, <laughs> and the other one spells post. <laughs> yeah, it's clever. And they would also give insight about the game, like some basic facts about how the game works in case there are kids watching. Like the idea is that, you know, the adult on Sunday morning is able to watch the game on a Sunday morning while still keeping the kids entertained and, and all that. Friends of ours are adults of young children, and they thought it was great. Uh, so target audience hit, for sure. Indeed. And the other thing that was kind of the most interesting was they didn't do normal commercial breaks. Like, they did trivia and fun facts about the game or fun stats or commercials for Disney Plus stuff. So it wasn't, like, every single commercial break getting inundated with Bud Light and Ford trucks. You know what I mean? Like, it was it was a nice kind of change of pace for, like, a family-friendly thing. Yeah. And... New England connection, 
the guy who did the play-by-play for that specific broadcast is now going to be the play-by-play uh, announcer for the Boston Celtics. People are saying there are only hope sports-wise in this city. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Celtics People are, are saying it right now. Well, that's uh, fun. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's the update on Toy Story. But uh, what else? So I watched Barbie. Oh, uh, so good. And I thought it was good. There, There's a common problem in my life, as I am a not very timely movie watcher, where by the time I get to the movie, like I've heard lots of takes about it, mostly on this show. <laughs> yeah, sure. And so a lot like, of chatter. especially if it's really, really good, this is a good example of that where it's like, oh, it's so great. Oh, it's so great. Oh, it's so great. Oh, it's so great. By the time you watch it, it's like, it can't possibly live up to like the hype that has happened. I did enjoy it quite a bit. Um, I thought it was funny. I didn't think it was laugh out loud hilarious, but if I saw it in a theater with like a bunch of people and it was for the first time, like separate from any hype and it was just all like all upside, all surprise, I'm sure like there would have been like the humor would have hit a little bit differently. I actually, what's interesting is one thought I had, and we we've talked a little bit recently, speaking of me getting to watch things way later, like winning time and the Adam McKay thing with the, you know, text call outs, graphics on screen, fourth wall breaking narration. A lot of the time, this movie had a lot of, well, it had some of that stuff. There was a few times where the narrator chimed in. There was a few times where there would be like a little text thing on screen, like bing, like this is real. This really happened like that. I actually think it could have used more of that because Interesting. For one thing in particular, which is at the end credits, they like show a bunch of old images and stuff of Barbie things that were real. And it's sort of like they're kind of like explaining the joke from earlier in the movie. Right. By by showing you that this was an actual real thing that happened. It's not just a character that we dreamed up. Mostly Alan, Michael Sarah's character, Alan. <laughs> yeah. Like you knew the whole time watching that. Like, I get that this is something. I just don't know what it is. Like, I think Michael Sarah's funny. I think this weirdo character that he's playing is funny, but like there's a joke here that I'm not understanding. And then like turns out like Alan was a real thing that they sold. And on the box, it said like I fit in all of Ken's clothes. And that was a line that Michael Sarah said to, as a way to justify his own existence. Like in the Ken world, he was like, I fit in all his clothes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, so like yeah. there was some stuff like that, that, you know, I don't know, maybe people who are just deep in Barbie lore uh, are getting all those jokes in real time, but I could have used actually a little bit more help in that Alan McKay, Alan, Adam McKay style of like showing the audience, like the thing while it's happening in real time. Maybe I just thought that a little bit because it had some of those elements and I've been watching Winning Time, which has all that shit. So anyways, whatever. But I did think it was very, very good. I could, I could see a couple more little asides because I, I too, like conceptually, like I figured that Alan was a real toy, but I, I wasn't I wasn't positive and I didn't know. Yeah. I also don't know any history. So, And I'm sure there's Easter eggs. I mean, there was a few Easter eggs that I caught, like Dua Lipa being there like once or twice and stuff like, but I'm sure there was tons. I mean, I don't even know if you can call them Easter eggs. It's just like the humor of the movie is like making fun of this, in some ways, making fun of this toy franchise. But anyway, so I mean, obviously it was great, but it suffered a little bit from the hype, but that's my fault for getting to it late. And yeah, could have used a little bit more of that like guiding, like hold my hand and explain to me the humor here a bit. I can also say in a crowded theater on like an opening night, which I went to, it was, it was great. Like it was, 
through the roof. I mean, it was definitely funny. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like I didn't enjoy it thoroughly. Like I definitely, I definitely laughed a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But over to you. The only thing that I revisited, uh, that we can talk about before we get into the news is, uh, the matrix was back in theaters. Ever heard of it? Uh, and, uh, and I went to see it on the big screen and I actually think that I've when I saw it on the big screen again, I was like, I think I've seen this on the big screen. Not only when it first came out, I feel like I've already been to one of the re-releases. Like I've definitely done this before, but <laughs> either way, <laughs> what a funny realization. I was like, no, I've definitely done this. It was, but it was still great. It was still great. Uh, it's, you know, some of it is becoming dated in terms of not even the effects, like the bullet time is still cool, but some of like the green screen work, like you can see the, you can see the seams a little bit more, but anyway, the point is the movie's still spectacular and it's very, you know, I've talked about, I don't need to tell the whole story, but it's the most important movie of my life in terms of we would not be here having this discussion on this podcast or have this website if it weren't for the matrix. Like that was the movie that changed my perception of movies. So it's always cool to kind of see it back up on the big screen. Yeah. So that was neat. And I'm, you know, it's one of those, I'm sure it's a quick cash in for the studios, especially during strike time with no material where they can just put this out for $5 as like a fan favorite to come see. Um, but they worked. They got me. Yeah. I mean, you're a fan. It's your favorite. What's wrong with that? <laughs> and as we go into the news, uh, the only strike update uh, news that's not even worth getting into as a full story is uh, recently, as of this recording, the Screen Actors Guild negotiations have broken down and uh, it's not going well. So we thought that the Screen Actors would get their deal quickly after the writers, but sounds like it's going to be a little bit longer. So we'll have more news on that as it develops. On that note, let's move into what's been in the news. We got a couple stories that are uh, seem to be comic-themed. As is all of Hollywood, exactly. Uh, so, story number one. According to Variety, Zack Snyder's DC Extended Universe era is officially over. It's been confirmed that none of the Justice League actors will reprise their roles in any DCU projects going forward. Ouch. James Gunn will have a clean slate to start from when it comes to casting. Bill, is this the right move? And how will you remember the Snyder DC saga? Uh, I think it is the right move. I think there's just too much baggage there at this point. Can we just take a quick can we just take a quick time out? Who are these people? So Jason Momoa as Aquaman is one of them. Like just rattle off the highlights for me and anybody else who uh, Yeah. Uh, Aquaman, Jason Momoa. Henry Cavill as Superman, Ben Affleck as Batman, Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, uh, Ezra Miller as oh. The Flash. Oh, these are like good. These were like good movies. Some of them. Yeah. So that's. So that's I'm my. Upset about this news <laughs> item. Now Bill. you have a take. Yeah. So <laughs> here's my here's my thing. I think it's the right move because there's too much baggage and the possibility of overwhelming audience confusion is too strong. Like you have the opportunity now to tell everybody, hey, here's a chance to jump on the train as it leaves the station. Don't worry about this other the last 10 years sure. if you missed something like let's just go and i think that i'll remember the snyder era as a waste of potential because of the casting you just mentioned like they actually did a really good job casting these roles like cavill's a pitch perfect superman yeah with one big exception i'd say but yeah sure affleck as like the grizzled batman i thought was great momoa's that's a lot my of fun but yeah okay oh you don't like that batfleck batfleck no not, it's not uh, i think he's pretty good but Momoa's Aquaman is a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. You know, in the last Flash movie, Miller proved that they were really, 
you know, up for the job. Gal Gadot is obviously like the biggest win overall. The most successful of all of them was her original Wonder Woman movie. Like she is perfect. So the casting was great. I like Snyder as a director. I'm, I've always been a Snyder apologist. I, I like his movies and I still have a soft spot for Man of Steel. I think any individual scene in that movie works. I just think that as a whole, it doesn't fit together, but I still like his work. So the crux of the issue, though, with the Snyderverse and why it's all wasted is that they didn't know how to write the characters. Like, Gal Gadot worked because she felt like Wonder Woman. Like, the way she talked, the decisions she made, felt like we were watching Wonder Woman. But when you saw Batman and Superman, they didn't feel like those characters. And as an audience, we have, like, 100 years of background on these characters. So, like, when they don't feel right, you just squirm in your seats, and it's like, it doesn't... It doesn't work. And they never nailed those two. And if they can't nail them, then fundamentally the whole enterprise falls apart because they are the core of the Justice League. So it's a lot of wasted potential. It's sad because, again, I think the casting is great. But I think it's the right move to give James Gunn a chance to start over. Why wouldn't you just keep moving with better direction? In, like if the casting is good and it sounds like the movie making was bad, like why is it a benefit? Why is it a good thing that the cast is not going to remain the same because you can't make another origin story with Aquaman and Batman. And like, you can't go back and retell their story. You have to keep the narrative moving forward, I guess. Yeah. I think it's because the audience, again, the audience confusion of supposedly all these movies are interconnected. And then all of a sudden you're going to say they're not interconnected, even though you're seeing the same exact people on screen, don't worry about anything else that happened. It, like, it but you got to weigh that confusion with the confusion of being like, Oh, you thought, for 10 years that Superman was this person, but now I'm telling you that it's this person. Well, if they go younger, if they go slightly younger, they just have a chance to kind of start fresh. I guess so. Because that's the other thing is if you wanted to go back and retell origins and restart, all these actors have aged since the last right, time you right, even right, showed right. them. But it's like the classic thing where you're like, well, in order to uh, make it less confusing, like we have all these things. It's too many things. Okay, we need to make it more clear to people and less confusing. Let's make a new thing <laughs> that's going to replace the previous things, but really all that does is add an additional thing to the, the group of things you were already having. You know what I mean? Yeah, but you can tell everybody to forget all those other things. So it, ideally, it clears the docket. <laughs> Except for that, uh, it doesn't, but okay. It's it the can't. idea. But yeah, I just think they never, they never got the writing correct. Superman and Batman just weren't right. The way they did it just didn't feel right. So it's a bummer. It's a bummer that that's how it ended up going down. It's been all downhill ever since they had to CGI that mustache out of the, out yeah. of the well, Superman movie. Well, arguably it went downhill before that even. <laughs> but yeah, they were also always under the gun compared to Marvel, which at the time had been in its heyday. And they were always scrambling to play catch up. So I think they made some rush decisions that have now cost them long term. Fair. All right. Well, let's switch over to the other side of the comic world. Wherein, since the conclusion of the Writers Guild strike, sources tell Deadline that Marvel will start setting writer meetings later this fall for pitches on its anticipated X-Men movie. The X-Men was the most popular IP at Fox before getting acquired by Disney, but since the disappointing Dark Phoenix film, it has been in need of a reboot. Bill, at this point, how do you think Marvel should approach reintroducing the beloved X-Men characters? This seems like the same question twice. <laughs> kind of. It's tough. Similar to Superman, Batman. There's like a lot of history with these characters with mainstream audiences between the comics, the cartoon, the wildly successful movies, 
And then the successful prequel movies, like they've done everything they can do with the X-Men. So this is like Hugh Jackman, Wolverine type stuff. Is that what we're talking about here? And what's his face as the magnet man? Michael Fassbender as young Magneto and then Ian McKellen as old Magneto. That's who I'm thinking of. And then you got Patrick Stewart as Professor X. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are good. These are good characters that even non-movie people like myself sort of kind of know. Exactly. Everybody knows him. And Hugh Jackman is Wolverine. I mean, first ballot Hall of Famer. Like, nobody does it better. So the idea of starting that over is tough, which normally you would say, again, when the MCU was in its heyday, slotting in the X-Men would be awesome to see them bounce off of Iron Man and Cap. But, like, those were the good old days. Like, the MCU right now is a mess. Like, Cap and, and, and Iron Man are not walking through that door. Uh, so, so it leaves you with... I think the MCU basically, they have to rebuild around the X-Men. I feel like people, I know a lot of people who have fallen off the MCU train, and I feel like this might be the only way to get them back, is to just bring the beloved X-Men into the fold and make them your focus. Because, But will they be beloved if they're all being recast? Who's to say they'll be beloved? Well, that's the hope. I mean, Marvel... I would say the odds of blowing it are extremely high. Sure, but Marvel Studios, generally speaking, have done really well with casting and writing. But I think they need to think of new stories to tell because we've already done so much with the X-Men. That's the hard part. Mm. Like, I prefer the early X-Men stuff where the mutants act as a stand-in for any oppressed people that you can sort of project into them. And there's some really interesting human and emotional stories you can tell with that as your construct. Sure. But the problem is we've reached a point where we're warping around timelines with gemstones and like, so telling a story about the Mutant Registration Act, it's just like not going <laughs> to cut it anymore for general audiences. So... I don't have a good answer. I don't. They are going to have to nail the casting, though, for sure. Yeah. A lot to live up to on that one. Yeah. Even more so than I would say the DCU. I think DCU, you could probably get away with some no names and just like build them up and just find some hidden talent. I feel like the X-Men, you're going to need some names. You need some, uh, you need some pop. Yeah, for people to, to really reconnect with these characters. So we'll see. A lot of rebuilding. I mean, I also wonder, as we're talking about this, if this is the beginning of the end of the comics ruling the entire industry. And maybe we shift back to, I sure hope so, man. I mean, I feel like as a, in AJ's absence, I feel the need to say why, <laughs> like yeah, why, why, are we doing this? why do we need to redo all these things that we just did? These aren't old movies that were like dusting off like fucking ghostbusters or something like this is like shit that just, I know. The, the feeling compelled to recast and redo it, like, oh, man, it's so annoying. It also just, it feels like the comic obsession has gone on longer than I thought. Like, like it is not uncommon in Hollywood to have rises and falls of certain genres. Like yeah, we, totally. Musicals were huge. Westerns were huge. Like, dark, gritty street crime dramas in the 70s were huge. Like, these things come and go, but the X-Men, or excuse me, the superhero obsession is what, 20 years? Yeah, man. Plus? Because it was 2001 when that first X-Men came out. Like, it's a long time Wait, that this who has was been... First? What was the, I always considered the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans to be the first. You just said That X-Men. was also 2000, 2001. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was around the same time. Yeah. That X-Men and Blade, actually, I think was technically first in 99. But yeah, that's 20 plus years. Like, that's a long time to have that be the focus of the entire industry. Sure is. So I know I'm ready. I know I'm ready to get out. Well, let's get out right now. Uh, Please. <laughs> um, let's move on to our should I go see it segment. Bill, the leaves are turning. There's a there's a there's a a, a, a chill in the air. Yes. It is spooky season and we've got some spooky films here today. Not this first one, but I wouldn't call it a happy movie. 
So here we go. Let's get started. Should I go see it? We're going to start with The Creator. IMDb describes it thusly. Against the backdrop of a war between humans and robots with artificial intelligence, a former soldier finds the secret weapon, a robot, in the form of a young child. Bill, should I go see it? Yes. Gave it a yes. This is actually a original IP, which... Holy moly. Going against yes. everything we just talked about. It's like breath of fresh Quick air. This round movie. of applause for that. Someone yeah. who actually had a new idea and made it into a film. Incredible. The movie is mostly, if you've played video games at all, it's mostly an escort mission movie. Like that's what it is, is him, as you alluded to, our hero, escorting this child that is also a secret weapon to make sure that you know the machinations of the plot take place. It's a future war between humans and AI. And you know the hidden AI weapon is a child that he bonds with and they get chased and they run and re- repeat that a few different times until explosive climax but it's like Um, humans and robots right they're like physical ass robots yes like ai i feel like in our modern dialect ai is this like construct that does not equal physical beings walking around like fucking you know stormtroopers or whatever but this is not ai in the sense that there's like ibm watson in the in the in the basement (laughs) running and taking over the world this is like like lock and load robots fucking shit up 100%. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The nobody's, AI play, has, nobody's playing chess here. No, this is like robots building robots. Like this is... Gotcha, gotcha. gotcha. They are their own species of, of sorts on the planet that coexist with humans and different... And th- so the opening credits kind of set up the history and the relationship. The, the basic premise, as you've probably seen in the trailer, is AI nukes Los Angeles... That's like the kind of the original, the opening setup. And so America specifically is completely anti-AI. They get rid of all the robots in the country. Like they are hunting them down like terrorists. And then there's a country, New Asia, that has learned to live in sort of a symbiotic relationship with the robots. And the robots like headquarters, so to speak, is there. Uh And the opening scene, which was the highlight for me, it's just like crackerjack opening sequence where... American forces secretly have like a stealth mission into New Asia to try to find the, the head of the AI and the whole thing. And But the point of the movie, the visuals, like it grabbed me visually. It is stunning to watch. Every shot in this movie is a VFX shot. And I can't even imagine the amount of work that went into it, but it's gorgeous. Like there's landscapes that are part of it. A lot of it shot on location and then added in. The integration of the tech into the reality is seamless and amazing. It's like District 9, if you've seen that movie. It's like that level, but like on steroids. And all that practicality just sells the movie. There's no green screeniness. There's no phoniness. It feels real. It feels lived in. It's a feast for the senses. And I saw it in Laser IMAX, which certainly helps. And I'm glad I saw it that way. I recommend it. But the imagination on display is just amazing. It reminds me of movies like AI or Blade Runner, Elysium, Interstellar, The Animatrix. Like, there's just like lots of influences in here that you can pick out. It's directed by Gareth Edwards, who directed Rogue One, which is oh. one of the only one of the only good Star Wars movies, I would argue. Yeah, but it augments all those different influences in such a way that nothing feels like an outright copy. Like it is its own thing, and it's an original IP. And you love to see a studio invest money into an original IP. It's it's something else, man. It was an experience. It was one of those movies where when I'm watching movies, 
nowadays, a lot of times, if it's not a good movie, I find myself kind of like my mind wanders a little bit. I'm thinking about what am I going to say on the podcast or what do I think about this or whatever. This is one of those movies where I was just in the movie. In like it. I was just in it. So that tells me right out of the gate that it's it's a great movie. Cool. Nice. Was there anything you didn't like about it? Any negative, uh, any downsides? Yeah. I mean, it's for the record, it is much more story driven than I think the ads let on. Like it is like a hardcore sci-fi movie more so than it is an action movie. Uh-huh. So like the trailers have like explosions and tons of fights and stuff. And there is some cool action. Don't get me wrong. But it's not like the movie Aliens. Like it is more cerebral than that. It's more like Blade Runner 2049, but with like a few more action beats. But my only major qualm in the movie... Tell me about your qualm. It was how they framed up the story. So it's got... It kind of feels like Avatar a little bit, the James Cameron film. But instead of the Navi, it's the AI. Like some similar story beats. And they're clearly making connections to Vietnam. Like there is a... This movie is a message movie. Like it has a strong viewpoint and I get that. But personally, I would have preferred a little more ambiguity or some nuance. Like a little more... Vietnam? What are you talking about, Vietnam? Like the way that they show the Americans invading the jungle territory, taking over villages to find the AI. Like it is clearly a story about, about oppression and, and, and things like that. Hmm. And I get that it has a message. That's the message. That's fine. I, I want filmmakers to have a message. I just wish I like movies that have a little more nuance and a little more, if there's a little more humanization of the American side and more time spent with the American side, I thought it would have made it a little more interesting versus just being about the AI side. It was just, it was interesting the way they framed up the, the story like that. So that was the only thing that I kind of bumped on was I was like, I, I would have liked a little more depth here. It's pretty straightforward in terms of theming, but still wildly entertaining, visually gorgeous, like really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Nice. All right, cool. I might put that on my list. Yeah. You should check it out. Um, all right. You ready to get spooky? Let's do it. Let's fucking do it. All right. Next movie is It Lives Inside. I have never heard of this movie in my life. <laughs> this is a theater, theatrical thing? Sure is. Yeah. All right. It Lives Inside. An Indian-American teenager struggling with her cultural identity has a falling out with her former best friend and, in the process, unwittingly releases a demonic entity that grows stronger by feeding on her loneliness. What? Bill, should I go see it? I gave it a yes. Whoa! I did. I gave it a yes. I mean, it's a, a softer yes, but still a yes. You know, as you mentioned, it's about a high school Indian girl who lives in a mostly white community. Uh-huh. And then she accidentally unleashes a demonic creature. Oops. Like, like you do. Uh, for the most part, the creature is invisible. So it's got a lot of scenes similar to It Follows. I don't know if you've seen that movie. But there's a lot of terrorizing scenes similar to It Follows where it's just like, I don't know. It, I don't want to spoil it, but anyway, Creatures Invisible, which is, I think it's cool. I like when they do that. But the thing that makes the movie stand out is the representation. It's about an Indian family. They speak a lot of Hindi in the movie. They talk about Indian traditions. The demon, they, they, you know, they research it and it traces back to Hinduism. So you don't see that. You just don't see that very often. Yeah. So I was kind of excited by that because it's something different than every other movie I go to see every day. So I was like, oh, this is cool. This is something new. So that's the text of the movie. And then the subtext is, as you mentioned, like, you know, every monster is a metaphor. And in this case, that monster is feeling like an outcast or being treated like an other. Mm -hmm. Like the protagonist, the high school girl, it's like changes her name to fit in. She doesn't want to be known as like the Indian girl at school. And she kind of pushes away some of her culture to do that. And 
you know, that partially feeds into the story of the creature and all that. So there's just, it just adds an interesting element that you don't see very often. Usually when you see movies like this, the underlying theme is grief or addiction or whatever. So I appreciated that this took a different angle from, in terms of story and a different angle in terms of representation. Yeah. It feels like kind of a lot to pack into one movie. It, it, I, obviously it was good. You gave it a yes. Was it scary? Like, was it like legit? Was there, were you a scared? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the only, that's the real downside and why it's more of a softer. Yes. On a technical level, it's well executed. And for a PG for a PG 13 horror movie, like it's pretty good. I wish it was R so it could be a little more intense, ratchet it up a little bit, but you could do worse when you're looking at PG 13 horror. Like I think the premise, the cultural backdrop, the performances, were enough, but it was not very scary. And I did have one person on Instagram comment when I gave it a yes that they thought it was boring or dull or whatever they said, which I get. I get. I understand that take. I still think it was solid enough that it's worth a shot. The only execution piece that didn't work for me was they eventually do show the creature. And I appreciate that they didn't make it like shitty CG because that's what most of these movies do. They go to like a CG creature for the last sequence and it looks super fake and it will age easily. But instead, this movie went practical, which is good, but it's also kind of obvious it's a guy in a suit. You know what I mean? Like, the suit's really well made. <laughs> like, it looks good. It's a hell of a suit. Still a guy in a suit. Like, I feel like they could have just kept the creature invisible, or they could have edited it differently, like, make it a little, like, I don't know, something about it. Like, kind of the final sequence, which is supposed to be the scariest part, I was kind of like, uh, really? So, that was a bummer. So, not the scariest movie in the world. But I still think it was well done. Fair enough. Moving on to the scariest movie in the world. I hate this film franchise. Always have. Saw the first one. Maybe even saw the second one. Fucking hate everything about Saw. And I just, I, it's not for me. So anyways, Saw 10 is our next 10, movie. Yep. I'm already rattled just by looking at like the IMDb page <laughs> of this Thrown film. Thrown off. A sick and desperate John travels to Mexico for a risky and experimental medical procedure in hopes of a miracle cure for his cancer, only to discover the entire operation is a scam to defraud the most vulnerable. Bill, should I... Well, I mean, I'm not going to see it no matter what you say, but should one go see it? <laughs> I give it a yes. <laughs> I actually really liked it. So this movie takes place between Saw 1 and 2, for the record. This is a... Oh, back in my era... There's a little story they tell that, that bridges the gap between one and two. Thank goodness. John Kramer, as you mentioned, he goes to Mexico, miracle doctor, his brain tumor, which we know about from all the movies. They help him. He wakes up. He realizes they didn't actually do anything and that they just took his 250K. So he captures everyone involved. And this time it's personal, quote unquote, <laughs> put it on the poster. <laughs> he forces them to play his games, to test their will to live and to punish them. But what I liked about it is how different it was from the other movies in that he's there. He's there with them. Like, he's putting them through this versus just being, like, a voice on a cassette. Gotcha. And they are all, all the victims are all in one big warehouse room together so they can, like, like, communicate with each other, try to cheer each other on, so to speak. Like, usually these, the characters in these movies don't interact. They're just in their own little cage. Yeah. Uh, so it just added a new dynamic to that. A new fresh, a new fresh look on torture. Exactly, and him being the lead and being in every scene just made it different. And he's great; like he's always been the more dynamic part of these movies. Mm -hmm. So, so I thought it was really good. It was. I will warn you. Well, not you, but others. 
it's incredibly gory, like way more than usual. Like I was looking away multiple times. I'm watching through my fingers. Like it is gruesome. I can imagine. Some might find that appealing. I th- it was a little borderline for me. Like usually they edit around that stuff and it's all implied. This movie, they're showing it. When you say usually they edit around, you mean movie makers generally, not the Saw ma- No, even these Saw movies. Oh, okay. Even these Saw movies. Like obviously the point of these movies, at least for me, is to go see them because I'm interested in the creativity they come up with with the traps. And like they deliver that pretty well here. Some of them I think are unfairly hard because they had a three minute timer to almost all of them. But still, traps are great. But usually in like the first movie, it was just the guy had to saw his leg off. Like it's so basic now compared to these current movies that it gets so ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. But in the first movie, when he's sawing his leg off, they might cut to it for like a smidge, but usually it's just like him screaming, the music, spurts of blood. Like it's all implied. This movie, someone else has to cut a leg and it is, they show it. And it is tough. God. So again, some people will see that as a draw that are into these Sick types of things. Maniacs seek help. I thought it was a little too much for me, but but I still I give it a yes for sure. Ugh, I feel like I need to. I don't know. I need, I gotta like go outside <laughs> or something. Ugh, all right. Uh, I mean, I guess, so. There's been ten of these fucking things. Where does this one? Where does this one fall for you? I put it in in the top half, which is why I gave it a yes. Uh, I would probably put it in the top couple. Like the first one, you've seen all is, of them. You've been to the, you've been to the theater and you've watched ten Saw movies, and we're friends. Uh, that's correct. That's correct. Yeah, I do. I go every year. The, the, again, I like the writing. I like the creative writing for the contraptions. Yeah, but anyway, you fucking read Playboy for the articles too. Sure. Yeah, that's, that all adds up. The first one is obviously the best. It still works. It's an incredible piece of cinema. The second one's also very good. I feel like this is right up there because there are plenty of them in the middle that I literally don't remember. But this one, I think, is one of the better ones. And I think another positive of this movie, there is no detective subplot. Like, that's pretty common, I think, in almost every one, is they're always cross-cutting to some detective who's chasing Jigsaw. There's, like, a concurrent plot that they're trying to stop the whatever. This movie does not have that at all. This entire movie is just you with John Kramer and his victims. And I thought that worked way better and even the bad versions of these movies, when the theme music hits at the end and it signals that they're about to do the final reveal, oh man, it's still, it hits hard. Like it still slaps. Like I'm just grinning in the theater when that music comes up. And that's why I go every year. And that's why you go every year. All right. You, let's, just, you can't get that feeling other places. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Right. Okay. We're gonna people, move, that wa- people that watch the song movies get it. They know. They know. This, they, the wrong, they understand this is the me. wrong audience for this discussion. <laughs> All right. Moving on to our final Should I Go See It of the day. You are excited about this one, Bill. The Exorcist, colon, Believer. Um, IMDb describes it in the following way. When two girls disappear into the woods and return three days later with no memory of what happened to them, the father of one girl seeks out Chris McNeil, who's been forever altered by what happened to her daughter 50 years ago. Should I go see it, Bill? No. Oh, this is like hard no at this point. Wow. You were so fired up about this movie. I know I was. So this is a sequel to The Exorcist, obviously popular film from the 70s, arguably the scariest movie of all time. They did a bunch of like cash-in sequels in the 70s and 80s, uh, which they did in, for everything, like The Omen. There's a bunch of movies, Poltergeist. The 70s and 80s, they were just churning out yeah, <laughs> shitty yeah, sequels yeah, yeah, yeah. to big movies. But anyway, 
This acts as like a true sequel because it brings back, as you mentioned, Chris McNeil, played by Ellen Bernstein, uh, Bernstein again from the first film. But I will say this up front. Uh, don't get super attached to her. It's basically a glorified cameo. Like, if you're expecting her, as I was, to come back and dance with the devil and be like, remember me, bitch? Like, that, <laughs> does, not, that does not happen. Does not happen. Um, so this movie, it has the subtitle Believer, which is on purpose. Leslie Odom Jr. is the lead, and he is a non-religious person. And his daughter and her friend get possessed, and he becomes a believer right quick. I'll tell you what. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a haunted past that they flash back to. The rest of the movie basically plays out the same as the original. They hit a lot of the same story beats, same story progression. The ending is tweaked, but otherwise, it's pretty similar. And even the editing is clearly like an homage to that first movie. A lot of similar cuts, a lot of similar like slow pushes and, and zoom in and out. Uh, and it's done out of reverence. Like, like they clearly respect the original Exorcist and they want to recreate that flavor. Uh, and I, I, I respect that, but it's still, the movie just doesn't, doesn't work. Is it meant as like a new generation who probably has didn't see The Exorcist? And if they did, it certainly wasn't in theaters. Like, here's the same movie made for you here. Is that kind of what they're going for? Like, if it's like, I guess if I'm asking, well, the question I'm trying to ask is if it's like, if it's so much like the original and the original is very, very good, why is this not very, very good also? I think they are trying to split that difference. I think they are trying to introduce this style to a new audience while still giving enough throwbacks to OG watchers to get them interested. You know what I mean? And Which I guess gets people through the door, right? Because, I mean, there's been plenty of movies about like fucking possession, demon, demonic possession and exorcisms that don't have the same juice as being the exorcist, you know? Right. They got the theme song they got. Ellen, Ellen Bernstein, they got the whole thing. But my issue with it overall... They got Ellen. They do. It, the movie does not push the envelope in any way. Like, that's the issue for me. Did you see Saw first or did you see this first? So I feel like your take on envelope pushing is going to be highly dependent on the no, sequencing no, no. of these two films. I don't mean it in terms of, like, scariness. I just terms of doing something different. Like, it's similar to what Fucking Jeff Goldblum... chop a leg off, why don't you? Yeah, something. Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park. Remember when he's talking to Hammond and he says... You know, you saw what others had done and you took the next step, but you didn't earn the knowledge for yourself. <laughs> like, that's what it feels like is like they just stood on the shoulders of the original Exorcist and they just did it again. They didn't. It was so faithful to the original Exorcist that it just feels superfluous. Mm. So, like, I'm not making an argument about the craftsmanship or the quality. Like, it's a finely made picture, but it's more of a why question. Like, if you're not going to do something slightly different or push it a little bit or update it for today's audiences or do something with it because they touch on a bunch of things. Like it's two girls instead of one and they bring multiple faiths together. So it's not just Catholicism like winning out. Like they bring, they have a couple interesting ideas here, but they just never dig into any of them and they just stick to making a paint by numbers recreation of the first one. Mm -hmm. And it just doesn't, doesn't need to be made. It did not have an impact on me at all. Are you getting any put, are you getting any blowback from this review? Did people like this? No, the reviews are, are mediocre and people that I've spoken to feel similarly. They just felt like it was meh. Like it's not, it's not a bad movie, it's just meh. And what is also interesting is that now there's more news about the fact that I didn't know this at the time when I saw it, but David Gordon Green, who, who directed this, had signed on to make three 
So there's this one, The Exorcist Deceiver, which was supposed to be the second one, and then an untitled third one. Like This was supposed to reboot and create a new trilogy. Third one's called Reliever. It's about a baseball player who gets <laughs> possessed. But it sounds like they're still going to make them, but they said they need to... They need to change it creatively or retool it. He won't. He might. He may or may not be involved. So again, they're they're going to continue to try to cash in on the Exorcist name. But I mean, the reviews and the the box office receipts for this lukewarm. So I don't know how much luck they're going to have. Hmm. But yeah, I would say I would say no Dang. for sure. That theme song didn't hit you though. They barely used it. I was sitting the entire movie waiting to hear Tubular Bells, and they finally play it in full during the credits. But in the movie, there was like one montage where they play it at like a slower cadence, which ruins it. Like there's no, like Tubular Bells slow is like, what are they doing here? Uh, Just, oh, what a waste. What a waste that was. Now I'm fired up that you mentioned that. It was like every time you were talking about how excited you were about this, you mentioned the theme every time. <laughs> every time, because it's so good. Oh, boy. All right. Well, uh, spooky season chapter is now closed. Let's move on to Netflix and Bill. Bill, what are uh, what are we watching? What are we catching this week? So uh, I watched all four of the Wes Anderson Raw Doll shorts on Netflix. Mm-hmm. As did I. And I will say they were uh, okay. I don't know. They didn't do a ton for me. I am a Wes Anderson fan. I think Poison out of the four was probably my favorite. Me too. But like, I don't know that I would ever watch any of them again. I'll be perfectly honest. Yeah, I big Wes Anderson stan that I am. I enjoyed them. I actually, I kind of feel like he should do more stuff like this, like these weirdo little one-offs rather than, I mean, he's obviously got to like get make his money somehow. He can't just be like doing little short films all the time. But I think sometimes the style because it's so like over the top can, can sometimes wear out its welcome in the feature length film format. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And these are very stylized. They're like, yeah, obviously they're short stories by real doll. So like there's narration, like the characters on screen are narrating right to you. Like in the, it's very cool. I, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't need to go back and like revisit any of them, but I, I enjoyed them for, for what they were. I agree. Poison I think was the best one. And I think the Swan was the worst. Yep, I could. I would agree, but it was a good time. I think Dev Patel was the MVP. Totally, me. yeah, yeah, yeah. And Cumberbatch was really good too. He was good in both the Poison one, which he didn't do much, but he was still really good somehow. And the Henry Sugar one was was pretty cool too. Did you just call Cumberpatch Cumber? Did you just call him Cumberbach? Cumberbach. What's his name? Benedict Cumberpatch. It's really called Patch. Yeah, did you made him German all of a sudden? I've <laughs> always said that name. <laughs> Bach. What? <laughs> Cumber. I'm looking it, at it right now. Is it A-T-C-H? <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not. I don't know, man. I'm just filling in. All right. Oh Give me my a break. God. That is funny. Uh, another thing I watched. All right. What's next? Another thing I watched uh, was After the Bite. It's an HBO documentary about shark attacks off Cape Cod. Oh. oh, it's a no. First of all, as a documentary, not very good. But as a native Massachusettsian, it was still kind of interesting just to see locations that I know and hear the types of people that I know and all that stuff. Yeah, sure. But as a documentary, not the best. They touch on a zillion different subjects, but never actually get into any of them. Uh, it's like all over the place. No, no narrative, no flow, no sequencing. Like it's just, it's not very good. But again, kind of neat to see local area. That's basically it. Yeah, sure. That's 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 pretty low, though. 
Like as far as like if that's the nicest thing you can say about it, then that's probably yeah, basically. Shit. Yeah, it's basically. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what else? This is all you. This is your whole section. So you, you just I, go I got right you. ahead. Uh, Loki season two has started again. Speaking back to the MCU, this is one of the only successful elements of this phase of the MCU is the Loki show. I'll be honest. When I watch the show, I don't really have any idea what's actually happening in like the grand scheme of things. But they do a pretty good job setting up the stakes of any given scene so I know what each character wants and the obstacle. So, like, you can still watch it. And it basically glides on the charm of Hiddleston and and Owen Wilson. Like, they're still so good. So good together. Great in their roles. So, I'm still watching it. It's fun. No idea how it fits in anything. But it's enjoyable. Sure. Fair enough. Uh, And then back to spooky season. Today, as of this recording, Fall of the House of Usher, new Mike Flanagan Netflix series has come out. So I plan on watching that. What the hell is that? It is another of his anthology series, but it is based on Edgar Allan Poe short stories. Sure. And they added Bruce Greenwood to the cast, who I think is great. So I'm excited for that. We love it. All right. What are you seeing this week? What's, What's on the docket? Next couple weeks, I got tickets for Killers of the Flower Moon, new Martin Scorsese film that AJ is particularly excited about. It is The final runtime is three hours and 26 minutes. Lord Jesus. So I made sure to catch an afternoon show of that so I could just really block off a whole large swath of my calendar. (laughs) So excited for that. The Taylor Swift Eras Tour concert film AJ and I will be attending. Who? (laughs) That's a joke. That is going to be... An experience. So the more they just did a, it's slated to come out in an upcoming weekend, but they just like did the premiere and they did a couple sneak shows uh, recently. And apparently the premiere was like just mind bogglingly amazing and intense and people singing and dancing. And Taylor Swift said that the, the people in the audience are the main character, quote unquote, of it. So I think it's fully expected to sing and dance and the whole thing. So it's going to be. Oh boy. I need a, I need a live cam on AJ during this. Oh, yeah. This sounds like an absolute nightmare scenario for him. (laughs) The over under (laughs) is like being there for 20 minutes. I think you got to you got to hit the under for that. (laughs) But we'll try it. And then a couple other movies coming up. I have tickets already to Five Nights at Freddy's. Never played the game, but it's a movie that I'm going to see in review. Uh, And uh, The Marvels, which is the next big MCU movie, which one of the characters is originated from an MCU show that I have not seen, but I'm assuming that there will be some terrible exposition writing that will get me caught up, so I'm just going to roll with it. I am looking forward to the next episode of this here podcast. Sounds like it's going to be a real banger. It's going to be a blast. Let's hope for some entertaining news. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you for listening to the Should I Go See It podcast. Please make sure to follow on Instagram at Should I Go See It. 